Hello, everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into the tactical side of Major League Soccer. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli, who has had some pretty exciting career news drop this past week. Jordan, first of all, howdy. And second of all, (laughs) just in case a few of our listeners haven't heard what's going on with you, why don't you go ahead and fill them in? Well, hello. First, second, to answer your your question. Yeah, really big news. It's been a quick whirlwind, but I am so excited to announce that I'm the lead TV analyst for the Columbus crew for the 2020 season. So I'll be calling all of their games um, on Fox Sports Ohio. So it is going to be such a fun time. And also when I mentioned whirlwind, it has been like these past couple of weeks, I just found out and have been trying to pack up and move out to Columbus. So as we go into this episode, Joe, I think one of the things I have to say is thank you. One, I, I think it's really cool that we are assisting each other on this, right? Uh, as I've been moving my life and trying to pack and organize, Joe has picked up some of my slack and is helping me out with some of these team predictions as we move forward today's show. So it's good news. And um, I'm lucky to have a co-host like you. And I'm, I'm super excited for you, Jordan. It's been amazing to see this development kind of unfold. You were having auditions and then you were down in Florida for CONCACAF, you know, women's Olympic qualifying and calling all those games and back home. And now you're packing up your life to move across the country. It's been awesome to see you kind of be on that journey. And of course, I'm happy to step in for today's show. We are going through some Eastern Conference, very specific predictions, much like the Western Conference show that we did last week, this week just with the Eastern Conference teams instead. So it's not quite alter, altering, uh, alternating. We're not going to go quite back and forth because I have done a couple extra as Jordan's packing up all of her things in her car. It could be altering, though. People could have altered opinions. This is true. Their opinions might, <laughs> there might be altered. It's not alternating, but it could be altering. <laughs> it, it very well might be altering. So we'll go back and forth. Mostly I'll have a couple extras here, but we'll make it clear whose prediction it is. And uh, I don't know. Let's go ahead and get started. Jordan, take it away. Let's do it. Okay, we're starting alphabetical order. So no, uh, nothing to this except for we're starting with A, and that's going to be Atlanta United. Frank DeBoer, second season with Atlanta. They finished second in the East. And I think some of the big news for them in the offseason, they they lost a lot of key players, right? Gressel's out, Nagby's out, Gonzalez Perez is out, are out. Uh, but they picked up a really exciting midfielder, some exciting players, uh, but an exciting midfielder and Mateus Rosetto, a Brazilian midfielder who they just had. And if you've been reading anything about Atlanta United, there's some hype around him, especially the players talking about what he's done. But my prediction, Joe, does not have to do with the attack of Atlanta because that'd be too easy, right? <laughs> of course. And, and I've been listening to our podcast and listened to the, the one where you and Daryl talked about some newcomers in MLS. And so I'm going with a center back. I'm starting off just like you would like. You know, I love Ma- it. Yeah. Fernando Meza will have the most center back dribbles forward into the attacking half than any other center back in MLS. OK, so, yeah, Daryl, and I did talk about Fernando Meza, and I'm so happy that you brought him back up again on this week's show. What is it about Meza that makes you think he's going to get forward so much or about Atlanta's system that you think is going to have him in the attack? I think that's really what it is. It's Atlanta's system, right? And how dangerous they are going forward in the attacking front runners that they have. This is a team who is stacked. Like, do I do I need to list off the players? Well, I, 
I don't know if I need to, but I will. Joseph <laughs> Martinez, Pity Martinez, Barco, Emerson Heinemann, and Rosetto, who I just mentioned. These are attacking players who not only will go forward, but once once they lose the ball, they'll hunt in numbers, right? And try to win it back as quickly as possible. So that style that Atlanta has, I think brings two things out. They're going to keep the ball a lot. So they're as they start to attack, they're going to keep the ball. And as they do that, and maybe even through their counterattack, sometimes the, the field is going to get stretched. What happens then is it's going to put the back line of the opposing team under so much pressure that one of their options to get rid of all those front runners and clear the space is just to clear the ball long. So I am imagining Meza in this situation, picking the ball up from those long clearances, just trying to relieve some of the pressure from the opposing team. And he's going to pick it up in a, a spot where he can drill dribble forward with all those attacking front runners and, and players in front of him where he can connect with them going uh, into Atlanta's attacking half. I just see um, not only that, but then as Atlanta keeps the ball, Lorenowitz is a really good player for them to um, set the tone, right? He's the their holding midfielder. So if Meza dribbles up, he's that person that can also slide back into the defense, into the back line and feel super comfortable with that, right? So I can't imagine that that's going to be um, something that makes their back line that much more susceptible to anything dangerous. And that's so key, I think, is I'm so glad you highlighted it. The Jeff Lorenowitz being able to rotate backwards mm-hmm. because last year with LGP pushing forward sometimes into the, into the attack, now you bring in a guy like Fernando Meza who likes to get forward and likes to contribute offensively from a center back spot. Having a player like Jeff Lorenowitz who can seamlessly rotate into the back line, he's not the fastest guy, but he reads the game well and he has experience playing in that position as well as in central defensive midfield. So having Lorenowitz be able to drop back allows Meza to push forward without losing that defensive structure. And Robinson next to him if when he gets healthy, because I believe he's, he's not healthy at this current moment. When he gets healthy, he's a player who's really good at 1v1 defending, and he has the pace that if he is in a spot where he's left in a, in a one-on-one situation, it's not as if he couldn't recover and, and get back in a counterattack situation or cover that space a little bit more right. because he has the pace. So that's my prediction. All right, Meza's going to be dribbling and dribbling and dribbling from dribbling the back. Dribbling and dribbling and dribbling good. All right, let's keep going. I'm up next with the Chicago Fire. A little bit of background on the Fire. They have a new head coach, Rafael Vicky, who, Jordan, you and I have talked about in episode mm-hmm. two of this show. Vicky is in for Velko Panovic. They've also had a sizable roster turnover. Um, no more Bastian Schweinsteiger, no Dax McCarty, Alexander Katai, Nuku Gaitan, and a whole host of other guys. They're all out. Um, of Chicago. So they brought in some players to replace those guys. But my prediction is not focused on one of those new players. It is focused on a returning player. And the prediction is this. I will learn how to spell Shemislav Frankowski's name right on the first try by the end of the season. <laughs> that is, that's a tough pre- prediction because I, when you say it, it doesn't look as hard as when you see it in type in front of you. And it um, that's a hard name to spell but why 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 do you think that you're going to talk about Frankowski a lot and it's honestly for me it's because I think he's truly going to be an impact player for Chicago this Mm. season he impressed me especially early on last season he's got great speed maybe one of the fastest guys in MLS I'd be interested in seeing some of the numbers on that if I can ever get my hands on those but Mm -hmm. he can put in a nice cross from that right side he likes to play on the right wing He's versatile on that side as well. He can play as a right wing back in a three or a five at the back shape, as a right-sided midfielder in a 4-4-2 or a right winger even in a 4-3-3. 
And that kind of will just depend on what shape Rafael Vicky wants to use when he settles into a rhythm with Chicago, whether he wants to use one striker or two, three central defenders or two central defenders. Frankowski is going to sort of be in the picture regardless of that because of his versatility. So between that positional flexibility and his his speed, his pace, and his you know above average ability on the ball, I think he's going to be one of the mainstays in Chicago's lineup this year. Okay, if you're giving Frankowski a position where Joe Lowry would want to see him play in the Chicago Fire setup, what what would you say is your number one spot? I think for me, he's perfect for a right wing back in a in a three or a five at the back system because he has that speed and that work rate. He's he's almost too good just to leave up as a winger unless I'll leave this as the caveat. Unless Vicky is going to press high up the field, and then you want that hardworking winger to be able to mm. push high, maybe either you know funnel the ball inside or outside, depending on how they're set up, and then track back if and when the press is broken. Then he's perfect for that right wing spot. But other than that, if they're going to play a little bit more of a standard shape without so much pressing, he could be perfect for that right-sided wing back spot where he can go up and down the line, cross in balls to the attackers, um, maybe combine a little bit with the central midfielders, Georgi Mihailovic or uh, Madron, the new signing from the league. Uh, he has the ability and the skill on the ball to do all of those things. And that's truly why I do think that not only will he be a key player for Rafael Vicky this season, but also that I will learn how to spell Shemislav Frankowski's name right on the first try by at least October. Okay, well, give us at least a little, we're going to do a little test, like give us the first letter of his first name because it's not an S. It's not an S. I know for a fact it's a P. <laughs> There's a P okay. and a few other wild letters in there, but it, it's doable. It's doable. If I really apply myself, those, I got it. Yeah. You're going to get those wild letters and going to get them into the order they need to be in because this guy is going to be an impact player. I like it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right, Jordan, FC Cincinnati. Move us on to our third team here. All right, Cincinnati. And um, when you talk about FC Cincinnati, Ron Jan's resignation last week, I think, is the first thing that you have to talk about. So, um, again, Cincinnati in this space where they're going into uh, games within a week and they have a, a new head coach. Uh, interim right now, Yohan DeMay is going to take back over. He took over as interim last year as well. But a little insight into who FC Cincinnati was in their first season. They uh, finished in absolutely last place, six wins, 22 losses, six draws. And uh, I think for me, the big storyline, correct me if I'm wrong here, but attacking players are what FC Cincinnati went out and got. They got you, Jacobo, Jurgen Locadia, and Sam DeYoung. So these players um, are a real big part of who FC Cincinnati is looking to be in the 2020 season. All right, Joe, you ready for this prediction? Oh, I'm born ready, Jordan. FC Cincinnati will double their wins in 2020, making it 12 wins on the season. What's your initial reaction? I'm just trying to do some quick math here. So you said they had six wins and six draws last season. Those are their only positive results. So that's, that's not a lot of points. First of all, then you, then you add in 12 wins this season. They're going to, they're going to have more points this season already just off of wins than they did all of last season. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I like it. Uh, I think that when you look at SC Cincinnati and um, there's a couple of things that I think of right away. Uh, I think that there's a lot of pride on the line, right, for these players and going into this this second year and having a tough first season, they're going to come back, um, whether they're returners or newcomers with this sense of pride as to like, okay, we can really start anew and do something big this year. So 11 of their losses were shutouts. 
and 11 of them, they scored at least one goal. So this is why I think that they're going to double their, their wins is because if they only lost by one goal in those, or if they were shut out and if they get one goal, they're at least in that point place where they're going to get points. Right. Right. So I think it's really in those shutouts. If you bring in all these attacking players, you are going to score goals. And it seems to me that when you're thinking about FC Cincinnati and how they've restructured, they're very concerned about how they are going forward. So they're going to play this Dutch style of soccer. They've been talking about that. That's how they want to build their team with a lot of possession, a a lot of interchanging of positions, but they've really strengthened their spine. So you talk about those attacking players, but then they got Madunian and who is consistently one of the best players in ball possession in MLS. You add CM DeYoung in front of him and those attacking threats. And I think that if you have, since you have Madunian in, who's a player who can connect the lines from the back line to the attack, and you have De Young, who is uh, played at Ajax, knows this Dutch system like the back of his hand, right? And he is a linking midfielder. That's what he said his biz- biggest strength is. So he comes in, and I think De Young is going to really set the tone for this team, not only how he links the midfield to the attack, but his leadership. So um, I just have a feeling that these changes and, and then you can go into what those other players are like, right? I'm not even talking about Kubo or uh, Lakadia. And you talked a little bit a lot about Lakadia in a previous episode, but I just think that bringing DeYoung and Madunian in, in the center of midfield um, strengthens, strengthens up the spine and it allows them to attack with a little bit more, um, resilience like I, I just feel like they're going to be a more fun attacking team you bring up you bring up De Jong and you bring up Madunian and I think those two guys are absolutely key and they they're such clear signals of what FC Cincinnati, FC Cincinnati are trying to do this season Madunian and you already mentioned it like he's he's this rock in central midfield offensively defensively is a complete not another matter but he is able to pull strings and play left-footed balls that few players in major league soccer are able to do mm-hmm. so having him at the base of, of what's likely to be a 4-3-3, I would guess. I think Dame played mostly a 4-3-3, or at least at the beginning of his interim tenure last year. And then you bring in De Jong as well, and you're looking at guys who have familiarity with a system like this, pulling strings from midfield, combining with the fullbacks who are getting forward and pressing up into the attack with the attacking players you already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Those players combined with Kubo and Locadia are going to be huge for Cincinnati in 2020. And one of the things I think I should mention is... MLS has been historically maybe a difficult league for foreigners to come in from different leagues all over the world and just like find their place right away. But I think one of the things that I look at this FC Cincinnati team, and I think uh, they're going to have good connections going forward is because DeYoung and Lakadia played at PSV Eindhoven together. They know each other. Hmm. So even having that connection of playing on a, in a previous team together and you know each other's tendencies and where you like to receive the ball, how you like to receive the ball, I think that's going to be right away something that is going to allow them to start off on a good foot. I love it. So FC and Cincinnati are going to double their wins to 12 in 2020. Well, you heard that's it here my first. prediction. You heard it here first, folks. You heard it here first. Yeah. Let's go up um, to Central Ohio now. How about that? Central Ohio, we are talking about the Columbus crew. And before I read off my prediction for the crew, I wanted to read Andrew J. Chwalik's prediction from Twitter. Andrew reached out to us and predicted that with the addition of some solid midfielders like Nagby and Zellerayan, the crew will have the most assists in the Eastern Conference at the end of 2020. What do you think of this one, Jordan? Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I I mean, I like that prediction. And for me and... 
without even being in Columbus. Now that I'm in Columbus, I'm even more excited. But Darlington Nag- Nagby has been one of my favorite players in MLS for years because he is just so smooth. And so I, I think that his ability to get out of things and Zellerian's ability to create things, is just <laughs> it's going to be fun to watch. I think Andrew might be spot on, but my prediction Sort of similar to Andrew's, it's also focused on the attacking end, but we're going to look at a slightly different area of the field. So my very specific prediction for the Columbus crew is that their starting fullbacks will contribute to more goals than any other fullbacks on any team in Major League Soccer. Okay, I like this. When you say contribute, you mean assist and second assist? Assist, why not? We'll go MLS assist, <laughs> assist, and goal. So I think, okay. I think Harrison Affle and Milton Valenzuela, the right back and left back, first of all, they're two of the most talented players in the entire league, not just fullbacks. These guys have so much skill and confidence and ability on the ball that I would, I would put them in the upper tier of MLS players in general. Then you narrow that pool down to just fullbacks. And, and just looking at the Columbus crew's ability and their, their players at that position, they clearly are stacked, it, assuming those guys are healthy, which has been a big problem for the crew the last couple of seasons. Afl was out for two months last year with a broken jaw. Valenzuela was out all of last year with a torn ACL, suffered in training before the 2019 season. So if those guys are back and healthy, they have a unique ability to get into the attack and create goals and, and score goals more so than a lot of other players, especially fullbacks in Major League Soccer. And you're you're saying this not just off a whim, right? Like you've got some research on this, too. You've you've done a little homework onto what these two guys have done together already. Oh, yeah. In the in the past, Afal and Valenzuela back when they were actually playing together before these injuries happened in 2018. Together, they combined for 15 goals, assists and MLS assists in that season that they played together. So with Caleb Porter, a second year under Porter, you know, however he decides to play, whether that's a patient possession scheme or, or more emphasis on attacking transitions, Valenzuela and Afu have proven in the past that they have the ability to contribute to the attack. And now, even though neither one of them played a whole lot last season, they will have seen what Porter's trying to do with this squad. They'll have had the full preseason to ramp up to things and be able to truly imprint themselves into the attack and become, honestly, I think outside of Nagby and Zellerayan, they're going to be two of the most pivotal pivotal attacking pieces even though they're not technically midfielders or forwards i like this prediction no i thought i thought jordan i just thought you might given yeah. given your situation i thought you might like that a lot and i think caleb and porter played, is gonna like it well i'm sure he will uh, i just played a little outside back in my day and it is just man it's one of the hardest positions on on the pitch i think just the how much how demanding it is and when you have to make those kind of decisions that these players do as an outside back under the stress that they do, like you, if you really get an appreciation for how much that, that position has um, all the responsibilities it has. So I, I like that you went with the outside backs here. It's so much work. Let's give the outside backs a little credit. I mean, I feel bad. I talk about center backs all the time. <laughs> right? And so maybe I need to spread the love to some other defenders as well. So Harrison Offal and Milton Valenzuela going to contribute to more goals than any other starting fullback pairing in Major League Soccer. I feel like we've done a good job of hitting up with our predictions so far of like different parts of the field. Just trying to show love to everybody, man. That's Center all it's backs, about. We've got some outside <laughs> backs. How about we talk about goal scorers next? Oh, let's do it. We got to give the goal scorers there, dude. Jordan, yeah. what do you have for DC United? All right, let's go down to the nation's capital, DC United. Ben Olsen in charge there. Last season in 2019, they finished fifth in the East, good enough to make playoffs. And I think that the, the real storyline here in the offseason was Luchiru out. 
gone. Luciano Acosta, uh, Wayne Rooney, no longer with the squad. And as of recently, uh, Paul Ariola with the ACL um, tear just in a preseason game. So um, I have to say a little plug here. I got to say, we I got your back, Paul. Um, I know this is a hard injury and a hard recovery, but uh, you'll get through it. So wishing him all the best of luck. Mm-hmm. And then um, in goal, Bill Hamid, official deal uh, with the club now for a few years. So that's a good, good sign for them because he is... A stud. Really, when you look at Hamid's numbers this last season, it's incredible what he did in goal. So, um, but I told you, I'm not going to talk about the defenders, right? We're going <laughs> to go. We're going to go into the attack. My prediction for DC United: Ola Kamara will have his first 20 goal season. Ola Kamara finally, finally got a chance to really shine, or he will have a chance to kind of be an attacking focal point this season. Jordan, tell me why you think Ola Kamara will, will top 20 goals for the first time. Okay, so this is. Technically, his fifth season in MLS, although last year he returned from China, only played five games. But in those five games for D.C., he scored three goals. So in his previous other three seasons with Columbus and L.A., he had 16 goals, 18 goals, 14 goals, respectively. Um, And why I think Kamara is in the perfect place to score a lot of goals is because of the people that surround him. Right. Uh, Julian Gressel is one of the most uh, exciting wingers uh, in MLS because of what we've seen him do with a front runner who is a goal scorer like Joseph Martinez, right? So you bring Julian Gressel into the mix and he's with this DC United team and he's going to have the ability to honestly play similar balls into Kamara and hopefully have that same connection. And, um, so then you go into the other playmakers within this DC United team, Yamil Assad, uh, returning to MLS after a little hiatus. But in the first couple seasons that he was in MLS, he had 21 assists. So this guy likes to dish the ball. <laughs> and if you're Kamara, you're you're really super you excited about that. Yeah. And then a, a player that you guys actually talked about on the newcomers to MLS podcast just a, a couple weeks back is Edison Flores. And this guy is Man, he is so fun to watch and so interesting in the way that he plays. Uh, he really only needs a half a half a yard. So he's a playmaker and he'll he'll distribute, but he also wants to get a shot off, right, Joe? And I think when he gets that little half a yard, Kamara's gonna have the opportunity with the ability of Flores in shooting range to pick up rebounds. So can Kamara be in the right place uh, to kind of scoop up some of those uh, poaching goals in and around the box? So when you have Flores, Assad, and Gressel, if you're Ola Kamara, you're thinking, man, I want to score a lot of goals. And he he even said uh, in an interview, he said, I'm just smiling with how many people around me can give me assists. It's perfect for Ola Kamara. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything more from him, honestly. I know he spent some time out on the wing with the Galaxy when Ibrahimovic was there just because, you know, when Zlatan's up front, you're not going to play up front too unless it's a two-striker system. And then last season, kind of still playing second fiddle, obviously, or third fiddle to to Wayne Rooney and then Lucharu and all of those things. Now, with a chance to truly be the, the central attacking focal point in, in what's likely to be a 4-2-3-1 with those three attacking players underneath them, you did such a good job of highlighting each one of those guys' individual strengths. I mean, you look at Assad, who can play those balls in from the wing, and then you look at Edison Flores, who has all sorts of attacking talent, a small guy, low center of gravity, can get forward quickly, can shoot, can pass, can distribute with his left foot, can rotate into spots with his right foot. He can do it all. Yeah, and I think 
so it's not only those poaching goals like off of Kamara or excuse me, Flores's shots, but I think that the relationship that Kamara and Flores make even in breaking out. So if they can break out quickly on a, on a counter and Kamara lays the ball off to Flores and then he break Kamara spins and breaks the line and he can get on the run into space uh, that that could be another opportunity for him to be connected with those players and build that relationship but also score a different kind of goal so I just I think he's I think he's gonna get at least 20 this year all right Ola Kamara 20 goals for the very first time in his MLS career all right let's go ahead and move on to Inter Miami this is my next team we know, we know the gist with Inter-Miami by now. They're an mm-hmm. expansion team. They hired Diego Alonso over the offseason after a lot of different rumors and different coaches were, were linked to the club. But they ended up going over Diego Alonso. Can I read this uh, Twitter prediction that we got? Because I think this is funny before, before we get in there. Of course, please do. Yeah. So FC Hoffman on Twitter predicted that the camera will pan to David Beckham at least five times a game for nationally televised games for Inter Miami. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. I honestly, when when FC Hoffman sent us this on Twitter, I actually laughed out loud. I thought it was so perfect. Even <laughs> even if David Beckham isn't there, I feel like they're still going to find a way to get his picture up on the broadcast somehow. It just feels right. It seems like a low number, though. At least, I mean, at least five. You probably could have got at least nine and a half <laughs> i mean <laughs> well, it's david beckham for goodness sakes we'll see we'll see at least as five. much as they can at least five so <laughs> um after fc hoffman's very specific prediction my very specific prediction for into miami is a little complicated so i'm going to go slowly but i think it'll okay. make sense once i explain it so miami will average 1.2 points per game until they sign a star striker and then that number will go up to 1.5 points per game so that's a lot of numbers i'm going to explain it with, a, with okay. just a little reference point here with those points per game numbers, the 2019 Montreal Impact finished ninth in the Eastern Conference last season, averaging just about 1.2 points per game. So that early pace that I'm predicting for Miami to have is not enough likely to get them to the playoffs. So whereas Toronto FC and DC United averaged just under 1.5 points per game in 2019, and they finished well inside the playoff picture for the Eastern Conference. So Basically, the prediction, when you simplify it a little bit, is that until Miami bring in that final attacking piece, they're not going to be playing out of playoff pace. But when they do, they're going to jump up. Maybe Mm. it'll be too late at that point to make the playoffs, but they're going to certainly be in a better shape than they were with that 1.2 points per game early on in the season. So why do you think that the players that Miami has right now are not going to be that big of an impact? Or why do they need somebody else to be brought in? I honestly believe, so they, they very clearly have some baseline attacking talent here. We Rodolfo Pizarro and Matias Pellegrini especially are two of the focal points in what's likely to be a 4-2-3-1 for Diego Alonso in 2020. I'm, I'm thinking, frankly, Pellegrini is still an unproven guy. I think he clearly has talent. Miami wouldn't have signed him all those months ago if they didn't believe he had the ability to impact this team, likely in a wide area now that Pizarro is there to play underneath a striker. But honestly, they're missing. They're missing that number nine. Julian Carranza is another young kid they brought in from South America. He's out about 10 weeks with foot injury. So he's out of the picture for now and for the next couple of months of the regular season. So without him, they have, you know, Robbie Robinson and and a couple of other guys that are younger or have, you know, played in MLS before, but they're not going to wow you necessarily, at least not right off the bat. So I think that's that's the biggest hole in Inter-Miami's roster right now. They have a couple of, of solid center backs in Roman Torres and then a new signing that they've made in the last couple of weeks as well. They have depth on both fullback spots. Central midfield with Will Trapp and Victor Uoa is pretty well covered. Lee Wynn as well. Rodolfo Pizarro and Pellegrini we've already talked about. Morgan as well out on the wing. But no matter how you slice it, they're missing that attacking focal point to finish off a lot of the attacks that Inter-Miami are going to generate and the chances that they're going to create in 2020. That's interesting. Okay. I, I think this is a really... 
good, very specific prediction. So say it one more time. So people know the what what the exact points per game were and how it's going to change it when they bring in somebody else in the summer transfer window possibly i mean kind of whenever it happens this season yeah. it might okay. it might have to be the summer transfer window all right everybody get your pens out get your pens <laughs> get your paper or you know type on your computer or your phone wherever you're listening to this here we go inter miami will average 1.2 points per game until they sign a star striker maybe a roger martinez kind of guy some some quality striker and then that number will bump up to 1.5 points per game. So going from a non-playoff place kind of pace to a playoff position pace later on in okay. the season. It's a lot, but, but that's I what I'm going the, with. But I also think that the thing that you're saying is they're going to be in the hunt, right? They're going to be there, and they're just going to need that extra push. And to, so to get to the playoffs and to keep yourself alive before that extra push, I think is a, another big part of your prediction. No, too. It, exactly. Because I don't think Miami is going to be terrible, especially early on in the season. I think Diego Alonso is a very good coach and they have some talented pieces on the roster. I just think they might need a finishing touch. And especially as an expansion team, some fl- some fresh blood coming in midway through the season with some guys who haven't just had the experience of playing in MLS. It's a cliche, but it's kind of true without yeah. having the experience of, of what this season looks like and all the travel that goes along with it. Bringing in a guy who's eager to get into things and to, to finish off attacks at the top of a 4 2 3 one could be super perfect for them. Sweet. I, I like it. I like that prediction. Before Jordan and I move on to our very specific prediction for the Montreal Impact, we're going to take just a minute to tell you a little bit more about the great things going on at The Athletic. So The Athletic is home to 400 of the best sports writers out there, covering every major team in every major sports league in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. So I know this is a Major League Soccer podcast where we talk about tactics, but one of my favorite things going on at The Athletic is Jeff Reuter's USL coverage. He does Minnesota United stuff, too. You probably already know his name. But he's had a number of outstanding USL pieces during this offseason. One of my absolute favorites was this recent story on El Paso Locomotives head coach Mark Lowry, who's a young head coach with a fun style of play and a great last name, even if he's missing that E and he doesn't spell it just just quite perfectly. <laughs> so I'd certainly encourage our listeners to go definitely read Jeff's profile on Lowry and other stories like it from the company with the best sports newsroom on the planet, The Athletic. But you don't have to take my word for it or Jordan's word for it or anybody's word for it. You can go see for yourself by signing up for a free trial. Head to theathletic.com slash total soccer to save 40% on an annual subscription. That works out to be just $3 a month for total access to some of the best sports coverage in the world. What are you waiting for? Jordan, where should these people head? Theathletic.com slash total soccer to save 40%. And believe me, it is so worth it. Um, We're going to go ahead and move on to our next team. I'm taking the Montreal Impact, coached by Thierry Henry. Poor 2019 season. As I mentioned in the Miami prediction, they finished ninth in the Eastern Conference and missed out on the playoffs. So, All right. New coach. New coach. New style of play. What's your prediction? My prediction is that the Impact will score 25 goals from attacking transition moments. It sounds pretty good. Uh, And only 15 goals in other ways. So that's only 40 goals, which would have put them almost at the bottom last season in terms of total goals scored. So... Good transition wow. numbers, but pretty poor overall numbers. That's the, the okay. meat of my prediction. Yeah, well, tell tell people what you mean specifically by attacking transition moments. Yeah, so these goals that I'm predict that I'm predicting they're going to score in attacking transition moments. By that I mean counterattacks after winning the ball in a, maybe a lower defensive block or a mid block where you transition quickly into the attack, or from some high pressing moments at select opportunities throughout the game when the impacts are high up the field in their shape. They win the ball, or the opposing team makes a mistake, and then they go quickly to goal from there. So that's okay. what I mean. That's so what I mean by those things. They could it could be a, your traditional counterattack or it could be where the team is pressed up high into the attacking half 
and force a mistake or force a turnover and then go from there in that defense to offense transition. Spot on. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm trying to get across with this prediction. And honestly, the reason why I went for something oddly specific like that with the, the 25 goals in transition and only 15 outside of transition is because I think it hits at how the impact are going to be good at maybe one thing, but not super great with a couple of other things this season. I don't know that they have the roster to truly compete in a lot of games against MLS teams without sitting back deeper and then trying to hit on the counter or occasionally stepping high into the attack to win the ball. And that partially is honestly based off of me watching their very first CONCACAF Champions League game under Henri. They drew 2-2 with Saprissa last week in CCL, and they played a pretty conservative shape. They played in a 5-2-3, not a 3 at the back. I think this is a hardcore 5 at the back shape, a 5-2-3, and they scored two goals both in the first half and both off of attacking transitions. And I think this is really nice that we have these Champions League games to watch and get a little taste, especially for these teams with new coaches. No, it's perfect, right? Because otherwise, honestly, I would have no idea what Henri's setup was going to look like. That's just, I mean, we know some of the players, we know some of the things that the Impact have done in the past, but when a new guy comes in, all you can do is look at his film with prior teams, which we've done before, Jordan, or, you know, look ahead at the early season games, whether that's preseason or an actual official competition like we saw with CCL. So, Henri's recipe for me is pretty simple, and I'd be surprised if he changes it dramatically throughout the season. Set up the team to be difficult to break down, and then take what you can get in transition. It's not glamorous, but if they get really good at it, I think that can still be fun to watch. Do you think that that's his first-year tactic and trying to get um, just his feet wet, and then he'll make some tweaks as the team gets more comfortable with how he wants to defend? I think that's spot on. I would be surprised if this is how Henri, if he's in Montreal for a couple of seasons, I would expect this to change over those couple of years. But just because of the general lack of talent, obviously they have talent in a few spots. The The front line has some some off and on guys in Romo Kyoto or Gio Quanquo and then and in Bojan as well. Then the midfield has some talent, Tider and, uh, and Piet as well. Those, both of those guys are quality central midfielders. But they don't have a lot of depth and they don't have talent at every spot. So as their roster gets a little bit more complete, they add some quality, they add some depth. Then we might see Henri try to play with the ball a little bit more. Then you can tweak the shape a little bit, maybe push those wingbacks a little higher, change to a four at the back shape. Then you can try to keep the ball. Then you can play around the opposition instead of just having to get the ball, go as quick as you can before you lose it, and then reset. So things will change, but this is what I'm expecting from the impact right now. A lot of goals in transition, 25, and only 15 goals on set pieces or, or in possession. All right. I like it. You know what? We need to we need to get somebody who's going to keep track of all these things for us as the season goes on. <laughs> isn't, isn't that what Daryl and Taylor are for? <laughs> yes. OK, perfect. We'll just make them do it. <laughs> don't, don't tell them we said that. Yeah. Anybody. Um, all right. We're going to move on. We're going to go up to New England to the revolution. Uh, tell us a little bit more about them, Joe. All right. The New England Revolution, Bruce Arena, back for a second, well, not a second whole season, but a second season with the Revolution. He arrived two months into last season after they, the Revolution started out extremely poorly under Brad Friedel. Bruce Arena got there, and suddenly they had a pretty big uptick in form. Um, they snuck into the playoffs as a seven seed. They didn't make it out of that first round, but now they're coming back for season number two under Bruce Arena, and they're going to see what they can do if they can make a deep run in the playoffs in 2020. So the Revs. Had a good end to 2019. How is 2020 going to go for them? 2020, you know, specifically, I, I couldn't claim to know how they're going to do results-wise throughout the course of the season. I don't know exactly what Bruce Arena does to teams. Sometimes it seems to work really well, like it did with the Revs last time. Other times, it doesn't work well at all. Um, but one thing that I am confident in this season for the New England Revolution is my very specific prediction. Carles Hill 
will have seven assists from the right half space in 2020. First of all, mm. before, before I explain it, before I let you say anything, I just want to say that I felt so good writing this that we have a show where I can say the right half space and people don't <laughs> laugh at me. Um, so I thought that was pretty fun. I'm glad I got to type that sentence in, in our notes, and I'm glad I get to talk a little bit about it on the show. Yeah. And I only laughed at you because you were saying that people wouldn't laugh at you. So I felt like I, I needed to add in a little. You got to even it out. You got to even it out. I can't get too confident, too cocky with this. I like stuff. it too. It's super specific. And I'm interested to know why you think so. So first of all, I think I should explain what the right half space is um, before getting any deeper into this. So if you think about the soccer field, you can divide it up into five vertical channels. So you've got the left wing, the right wing, the middle of the field, and then the gap between the middle of the field and those wings. Those are called the half spaces. So the right half space and the left half space are those kind of inner channels across, you know, up and down the, the vertical length of the field. So when I'm talking about Carlos Hill having seven assists from the right half space, I'm talking about him getting into that little channel, operating in the right space between the wing and the middle of the field and getting on the ball, getting on his strong left foot and whipping in passes into the box or maybe playing a shorter pass, you know, on the ground, a, a lower grounded through ball into the box for an attacking teammate to run onto. And he certainly has plenty of attacking talent to work with this season. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the spaces where he loves to occupy and watching him play last year, the newcomer of the year in MLS. This is a guy who knows how to score goals, but impact the game through assists as well. Yeah, there's there's one sequence that stands out in my mind from last season. The Revs were attacking high up the field against Minnesota United, who were in a pretty deep defensive block. And he'll had a man on him, but he's in that right half space. He cuts inside onto a strong left foot, creates just an inch of space, and then whips a ball into the box for a teammate at the back post, and he gets an assist. It's those kinds of sequences, whether he's playing as an essential attacking midfielder in a 4-2-3-1, or as you know, a right-sided midfielder in a 4-4-2, or a right-central midfielder in a 4-4-2. He can play any of those spots fairly well. He even tracks back a little bit defensively, so he's not a total liability. But you get him in that right half space, you get him, atta- you get him combining with Gustavo Bo or Adam Buxka, and then you're really working some magic, honestly, for the revolution. I don't think Arena is going to do much to have to harness that. I think it's just going to happen, and that's going to be where most of their attacks, or at least seven of their attacks, end up in a goal from that right half space with Carles Hill. Yeah, he's just one of those players that feels, you can just tell he feels the game, right? He knows what spaces to pop up in in the right times. He's so good. Honestly, he was one of my absolute favorite players last season. I'm, I'm happy that he won that Newcomer Player of the Year award just because he was so good. Even as the coaches changed and as the revolution had their ups and downs last season, he was absolutely fantastic as a creative attacker for the New England Revolution last season. Awesome. I like it. Good prediction. All right, Jordan, we are moving on to the next team. You've got NYCFC. All right. Uh, NYCFC, new coach this year, Ronnie Dyla. Uh, Again, if you haven't listened to the MLS New Coaches podcast, go our MLS Assist podcast, go ahead and go back to that because we talk a lot about Dyla and what he wants to do. Uh, I think the big story for NYCFC is just their cohesion in the offseason. They really only lost Ben Sweat to Inter-Miami. Um, and they have three returners with 10-plus goals. And Morales, uh, Maxi Morales is a player last season who had 20 assists and led the league in all assists. So they have some firepower going forward, which is where my prediction is headed. Eber will have more hat tricks than any other MLS player this season. 
Ooh, okay, I like this a lot, especially having watched NYCFC's CONCACAF Champions League, Champions League game where I believe he had a hat-trick in that game down in Central America. I think this one is it's super interesting. Jordan, tell me why. He did have a hat-trick, and um, we're not going to count that because it's not an MLS <laughs> that would game, be cheating. but I think it's a good uh, start to what he can do. I think with the way Dyla wants to play in a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, both options have... Eber at a central attacking focal point. He is a player who is right-footed, but he can finish with his left. He's really, really good at his movement in the box, being able to uh, make the runs that are just put the center backs off their step, right? Um, whether it's behind their back shoulder or catching them when they look back at the ball and cutting back in front of them. I feel like he just has the knack for knowing the right run at the right time. Um, he's also pretty good with his back to goal. He can combine. And I think that that's one of the reasons why he is going to have a lot of hat tricks because he can hit you in a lot of different ways. And not to mention that he's playing with one of the most creative and dynamic and best players. He was the best player last year. Maxi Morales finds a way to get assists. And when you're coming off a season with 20 assists and you have a goal scorer in Eber who can hit you in so many different ways with the fluidity that this NYCFC team can have an attack, I just feel like this is setting up perfectly for him to um Show us a lot of hat tricks. I want to be tossing hats out. I love it. Okay, first of all, I want you to do that and record it. Just I want to see you throw hats at people. <laughs> okay, well. Um, and second of all, I love a Bears fit under under Ronnie Dyla. I think the way he fits into that into that attack with some some talented wingers cutting inside next to him, then he can combine with those players. Then after he combines, let's say Matriza cuts in from the left wing onto his right foot. A Bear and Matriza combine, and then a Bear uses that quality movement to get into the box to get into a space to beat a center back to a great spot and then maybe Maxi Morales shows up into into the box or Keaton Parks comes in to to act as that third man and then you've got a crazy dangerous combination happening with a bear kind of blindsiding center backs with his movement in the box for NYCFC I'd be shocked if we don't see things like that over and over again for for NYCFC in the 2020 season just because of the sheer amount of midfield and forward talent that they have right exactly so I'm excited about this. All right, Aber, lots of hat tricks this season. Hat trick man. Let's just call him hat trick man. Hat trick Aber. Oh, that's that's really good. T-shirt time. So let's stay in New York. Let's go to the rivals, New York Red Bulls. Let's do it. The New York Red Bulls lost a lot of classic Red Bulls guys this offseason. BWP now with LAFC, Luis Rollblaze, Inter Miami, Kamar Lowens and Michael Murillo both moving to Belgium for Anderlecht. They didn't make a lot of moves to replace those guys, but they are getting a player back who I think is going to make a pretty big impact for them this season. Florian Velo, and that's where my prediction is centered around. My prediction is that Florian Velo will win the MLS Comeback Player of the Year award. Okay, I think I'm really going to be into this for the reason that I think I'm going to be into this, but I'm going to let you go and then we're going to talk about it. So a little background on Velo. He moved uh, from youth setups in France to college soccer to Red Bulls to, to the first team. So he's had that odd development pathway, but he's gone come up through the Red Bulls organization he suffered a lot of injuries over the last couple of years. He tore his ACL midway through the 2018 season, and he suffered another torn ACL at the beginning of the 2019 season. He's back. He's back from injury, and he's yes. been playing in preseason. Congratulations, first of all, to Velo for making his way back from those injuries. Not easy. Jordan, you know how hard that is. Yeah, I think this is why I like this prediction, because I did the same thing. Two ACLs in a year, within a year span, and it's just it's so difficult. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I got to always root for those guys. Always. And I think everybody roots for those guys. So part of yeah. it is, is I want to see Velo succeed this season. And the other part of it is I think he's perfect for 
the 4-2-2-2 system that Chris Armas is going to play. That's a little bit of a change from last season. We've seen the 4-2-3-1 for the Red Bulls for the last couple of years. But Velo, things are going to change this season. The Red Bulls are at least going to start the year likely in a 4-2-2-2. Velo is going to play as one of those outside attacking midfielders. Kaku is going to be on one side. Velo is going to be on the other side underneath the front two. So they're ahead of the okay. double pivot, but behind the front two. Velo is going to likely operate on that right side. He's, which is convenient for him, especially with how the Red Bulls like to get forward and play in crosses. Velo is good on the ball. He's right-footed. He's also super composed, which is a little bit not anti-Red Bulls because, of course, they want composed players. But he has kind of the pause on the ball. He can, he can stop, play around him, spot a pass. He doesn't rush anything. He can beat a player on the dribble. He can play a key pass. He's perfect for that spot to provide a little bit of creativity in a 4-2-2-2. I think Velo, coming back... Ready for a full season of soccer. He's good on the ball. Probably one of the Red Bulls' most creative players. Putting him on that spot on the kind of the wing, kind of in central midfield. It's perfect for his setup. And I think Chris Armas is going to love Florian below this season. Okay. I like that. Me too. So I, just to clarify on that prediction, he's going to win the MLS Comeback Player of the Year award. So it's not just that Chris Armas is going to like him or that we're going to like him, but the voters are going to like him so much that they make yep. him one of the award winners for the 2020 Major League Soccer season. That's a big impact. And I like it. All right, Jordan, Orlando City, what is your specific prediction for Orlando City in 2020? Okay, my prediction with Oscar Pereja coming into Orlando City here in the 2020 season, we talked about Oscar Pereja and um, his ability to come into teams and kind of flip the script. And so that's a part of my prediction, a big part of my prediction. Orlando will... Orlando will set a new club points record and make it to the playoffs for the first time ever. And I wrote it out like that ever. ever. There are a lot of R's in the Google Doc. <laughs> this is true. Jordan, why do you um, think why do you think they're going to set a points record and and make the playoffs? Okay, so we talked about Oscar Preha and his ability to come into teams and kind of unite them, right? When he mm-hmm. went to FC Dallas, he brought the team within two seasons of uh, to then winning. Uh, cups and being the first in the West and being just really good, solid, solid teams. Um, so I feel like his ability to go in and kind of uh, create a culture in these locker rooms, in these organizations is what's going to be key here. Not only that, but when you look at what Oscar Perea has brought in and who the players are. They've really shored up the spine of the team. Um, a lot of help defensively with players that can um, hold it down back there. They've got in Rodrigo Schlegel and Antonio Carlos, uh, defenders that are going to help them. They bring in a new goalkeeper, Pedro Gallese from Peru, 30 years old, World Cup experience. So all these players um, defensively, I think they really shored themselves up. And then they bring in a central midfielder and Urso, a Brazilian with this tough, gritty mentality. And he's going to be the player that's going to help win them the ball back in the midfield. And then you have the attack players that they um, have had now for a couple seasons uh, with Dom Dwyer and Nani and bringing in Mauricio Pereira. These are three players who I think have something to prove, right? They all want to uh, be the talk of MLS and Dom Dwyer wants to get himself back into scoring double digit goals. Pereira came in at the end of last season and couldn't quite find his footing. And I, so I think, um, this is a team who is ready for that culture and Oscar Pereja is going to come in and he is going to be that, that coach that gives them that extra mentality, that extra culture to, for this to be a team that can make the playoffs. And I think 
it's worth pointing out with this Orlando City prediction, we didn't mention anything tactical. We didn't mention anything yeah. really strategic. And I think there's a reason for that. I think when you bring in Oscar Perea, he's not here to work wonders in terms of how they look on the field. And so for me, I selfishly kind of want that. I want these teams to be so interesting to dissect and to analyze. But with Pereja and with the roster that Orlando City has assembled, I think they're first they're firstly focused on being competitive. They want to have that desire. They want to build the culture in their locker room. They want to have something established that they can build off of. Then you build a tactical identity on top of just the solid personality identity that they're trying to build in Orlando. And I think that's that's exactly what you're hitting at with the fact that they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to set a points record just by boosting up that baseline level um, for this upcoming year. Mm-hmm. And when you bring in all those new players and a new coach, I think you I'm excited to watch them play to see what they're going to try to do tactically. Yes, definitely. um, So that will be something we are going to talk about. But just for me right now, it is it's culture, it's mentality, it's um, pride, pride in figuring out a way to be the team that makes the playoffs for the first time. I like it, Jordan. I like it. We've got two more left. These are both mine. First up for me is the Philadelphia Union. So the Union had a, a good season last year. They finished third in the Eastern Conference, only to lose to Atlanta United in the Eastern Conference semifinals, but still an undoubtedly successful season for Jim Curtin and the Philadelphia Union. Building off of that performance last year, my prediction, my very specific prediction for the Philadelphia Union this season is that they will win more balls in the attacking third compared to any other Eastern Conference team. So they're going to they're right. get high, and they're going to win a lot of balls this season. Okay, they're going to win balls off the opponents. They're going to win first and second balls. Are all those things included? All those things included, because I think okay. that gets at how Jim Curtin, under Ernst Tanner, sporting director, how they want to play. They, the union right. want to get high. They want to press. They want to both high press, and they want to counter press. So whether they're, they're starting without the ball or whether they pushed high into the attack with the ball, if they lose it, if the other team has the ball for just one second, they want to they step up and they want to press. It's their yeah. second full season under Ernst Tanner, who did bring in that style for the union that, that had Jim Curtin sort of shift from the possession-focused style to more of a pressing style. Now, without Harris Madunian in, who we already talked about, sitting at the base of midfield for Cincinnati, as that was in your prediction, Jordan, without mm-hmm. that, not a defensive liability, but he's certainly not an asset in midfield. You, you bring in one of, the, one of the younger signings that they brought in at central defensive midfield, Jose Martinez from Venezuela, or Mate Orovitz from Slovakia. Those guys are going to bring more energy and more fuel in that midfield that will allow the rest of the union to push up and win the ball in the attacking half, compared or the, in the attacking third, maybe more so than any other Eastern Conference team, even the Red Bulls. Okay. I'm interested in this, and I think that it is very um, what we saw from the union last season is their ability to. I think counter press really, right? Like when when the attack doesn't work out, they are hunting the ball right afterwards to try to win it back as high up on the field as ever. And they have the personnel to do that. Like we talked mm-hmm. about the substitution, not a substitution, but the change in personnel at defensive midfield. You look at the it rest of the midfield. Lot. It changes a lot for them and it changes how the rest of the midfielders can step up. Because if you have to mm-hmm. cover from a Dunian and you can't be fully committed to stepping high into the attack as well. Now, Montero and Bedoya and Aronson, who we saw with the U.S. national team in January camp, who likes to run, he loves to run, works really well as a number eight or as a defensive-minded number 10 in a 4-4-2 diamond, which I'm guessing is what Curtin is going to play this season. Now you have one of the young CDMs, and you have Montero, Bedoya, Aronson, all willing to get high up the field. Um, and they can they can suffocate teams with that four-man midfield who also have some creative attacking ability as well. So 
I think it's going to be super fun to watch the Union this season, Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. them get up, win balls in the attacking third, and then play some of those quick dynamic transitions, kind of like we were talking about with the impact as well. All right. So that's the Philadelphia Union. We're going to go to our last team. This is one of the teams that Joe helped me out with, covered Toronto FC for me. So tell us a little bit more about Toronto FC and what you're thinking is going to happen with them this season. Greg Vanny, head coach of Toronto FC, led the team to an MLS Cup appearance last year. They were not able to beat Seattle in Cent- at CenturyLink Field, but they come back this season, unfortunately, without Michael Bradley. Getting ankle surgery uh, late in the offseason, he's expected to be out for the first three full months of the regular season. So that's that's honestly their biggest offseason storyline. They brought in a couple of pieces, um, but but losing Michael Bradley is clearly kind of the biggest development for the team this year. Does this have anything to do with your prediction? Because oh. I like when I think about Toronto FC, I think they're going to be it's almost going to be two different teams with and without him. And I think we'll find out as I talk a little bit more that that's maybe not quite the case this season with some of the guys they have ready to step in and replace Bradley's production. Okay. So my specific prediction, the very last very specific prediction before the Major League Soccer season gets underway this weekend. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Is that Greg Vanning will talk about his central midfield depth at least 22 times in recorded conversations with Toronto media. Is that so if there's five media people there and they ask similar questions, <laughs> if he's, he mentions it five times and that all counts or I'm, is that I'm one? It. Not, so not one, not one per media availability, but okay. one per, you know, conversation that gets out to us at least, okay. or maybe like we'll it. find a plug in Toronto to kind of let us know what's going on with that. But the idea behind this is just getting at Toronto's depth, right? They have so much central midfield depth that weirdly, I don't think they're even going to miss Michael Bradley a whole lot. And that's centered around a guy who maybe our listeners are familiar with. He's a little bit under the radar. Canadian national teamer Liam Frazier. 22 years old, he's going to be that Bradley replacement, likely to fill in for him while he's out recovering from surgery. Frazier, like Bradley, likes to play at the base of midfield. He's not a defensive animal, but he's probably a little bit more mobile. He's a little younger. He has you know, more mileage to give on his legs. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a super progressive passer. Like Bradley, he likes to get on the ball, play passes forward with his right foot. He can you know, split lines at the base of midfield, drop into a center back spot and, and distribute from deep. He can play those long diagonal balls that we, t- that we hear Greg Berhalter talking about so much with the U.S. national team. He can do all of those things. Then around him, we have guys like Marky Delgado, Jonathan Osorio. These are MLS mainstays who have been in the league for a while. You kind of know what you're going to get. Hardworking. They're both above average on the ball. They're willing pressers, um, but they maybe aren't going to wow you. Osorio probably a little bit more than Delgado with their offensive ability. But you have those two guys flanking Frazier or maybe Pozuelo stepping deeper into midfield or wide. They just have so many ability. They have so much ability to rotate with their midfielders. They have so many options that Vanny can use. Having his guys in maybe a three-man midfield, or a 4-2-3-1, or a 4-4-2 diamond. I mean, you could go through so many shapes that he's going to love. Vanny's going to absolutely be in love with his midfield depth over the course of the season. And I think we're going to hear about it. This is a random number, but at least 22 times <laughs> during the course of the 2020 season. Okay, you just took the zeros out of 2020 and you kept the twos. Yes, that's exactly how I came up with the number. Because saying 2,020 times is too aggressive. That's probably a little bit out there, even for a very specific (laughs) prediction show. I don't think that one was likely to come true. Okay, well, I feel like we we did a good job. We covered every team in MLS, Joe. We've hit all 26 teams. That's kind of crazy to look back on it. The last couple of weeks, we've gone through each and every one of these teams in some depth, had some fun things to say, and at least given our listeners something to watch for, right? That's our hope from these predictions is that we'll give you guys something to look for when you watch this, this, fir- this first weekend of MLS action, that you can look at these teams and find at least one or two things that you remember us talking about to maybe watch for for yourself. Are you feeling prepared and ready for 
the 25th season of Major League Soccer to start. I mean, you can never be ready, right? But I feel at least more ready than, than I would have if we hadn't done these previews. Jordan, what yeah. about you? Are you feeling good? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. This is going to be, I think that the storylines in MLS this year are going to be incredible and for it to be the 25th year and just to be able to talk about how much has happened in the league over that time, it it is going to be a really exciting year to be a part of. I'm so stoked. Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you're about to drive across the United States to get to Columbus, but thank you for taking the time out of this this busy time of your life to, to chat some Major League Soccer with me. I love it, Joe. I couldn't be happier to do it. Thanks so much. 